brought my thoughts back to a teaching moment I had with the Lord a number of years ago. Um, we were working with Doug Tunney, an evangelist from Faith uh, Christian Center down in Bedford, and doing a 13-week school of evangelism, and it was pretty intense. And uh, the outreach, and this was an outreach that we continued to do for years afterwards, was uh, to go to New York City and work with the uh, the bus feeding people on the streets and ministering to the homeless and their cardboard boxes on the streets of New York. And I think it was um, late November, somewhere around there, but it was a pretty cold year. And so in preparation for that, there was a lot of prayer time and a lot of, you know, coming together and just seeking the Lord. And I think as we got closer, there were about 20 of us going down in vans and I think for the last three days, I barely spoke in English. It was just praying in tongues, praying in tongues. Just, you know, Lord, use us. You know, prepare people's hearts. Let us make a difference, blah, blah, blah. You know, really getting stoked up for this thing. And we're in the vans. We're driving down the highway. And, um, you know, down in Manchester area where the highway cuts through the rocks there. And you go through there. And the ice flows, have you seen them? Coming out of the rock, the big ice flows. And... Yeah, something I've always wanted to do is go up there with food coloring, you know, and just create it. You know, I think that would be really awesome, rainbow ice flows. But anyways, you know, we're kind of zipping by, and I glance over, and I see this uh, ice flow sticking out of the rock, and I just have this very spiritual thought, oh, water from the rock. You know, the story of Moses, and, you know, the water comes from the rock. And immediately the Holy Spirit says, well, how come you notice it now? I mean, it's always coming out of the rock. And he answered his own question with with this statement. He says, under the right conditions, that which is hidden becomes obvious for all to see. In other words, all year long, if you were to pay attention to those rocks, you would see water trickling out of those rocks. But in the winter, the right conditions, the freezing weather the water freezes and then drizzles and freezes and drizzles until it becomes so obvious that everyone can see it. Okay, do you understand the principle? Okay. So a couple of little sayings that go along with that is, you know, the process is as important as the end result. Okay. You're involved in something that's ongoing, and we don't always connect with that, that we are walking in the way, that we are participating in God's destiny for our lives. Another way of saying it might be the journey is as important as the destination. You know, Christians especially got this pie-in-the-sky kind of view of Christianity. Well, if I can just hang on white-knuckle till the end, I'll get raptured out of this mess. You know, and so you get raptured out and you stand before the Lord and he says, so what did you do with the life I gave? Well, I grabbed hold and white-knuckled it all the way through, Lord, and here I am. Well, big deal, you know. And what did you do with the journey, right? I mean, we should be active, participating in this, right? So, I like this one. If you're really an optimist, getting there is half the fun, right? So, that should be the life of a Christian. Getting there is half the fun. We should be having a blast, right? So, anyways... The principle works along the lines of the story of Shadrach, 
Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. And I'll read that to you if you want to get a Bible. Uh, you can turn to Daniel 3, beginning in verse 23. But the story builds up. Uh, they are in captivity in Babylon. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is a megalomaniac. He's just all about himself. He builds a 90-foot-high image of himself. Ta-da! Here I am, you know. Everybody worship me. That's what he says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set out the band. When you hear the music, the fiddles and the horns and everything begins to play, you turn your attention to this image of me and everybody bow down. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you, right? So the music plays and everyone falls on their face and there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going, I don't think so, Tim. You know, <laughs> that, us, nah, doesn't work, you know, not for me. So arrest these guys, you know, and, you know, why won't you do that? Well, we don't bow down to men. We serve the living God and, and that's it, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar just starts bouncing off the wall. He's really angry and we pick up the reading at this point in verse 23 of chapter 3. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. All right? So they bind up their hands, and they've got them wrapped in ropes and their cloaks and their coats and their turbans. And, and the guys that throw them in, because they're, they're kind of like this, so they can't like this, so they get these guys to throw them in. The furnace is so hot, they heave in the guys, and the blast of the furnace kills the guards. I mean, it's that hot, right? So they fall down into this fiery furnace, bound, and then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declares to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, that's true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound. I see four men unbound. Under the right circumstances, that which is hidden becomes obvious for all to see. I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth one is like the Son of God. Wow. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Do you think that as the music is playing and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are standing there going, nah, 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 nah. don't you think that Jesus was standing there with them going, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> right? But no one saw him. Nebuchadnezzar didn't see him because Nebuchadnezzar was all about himself. But under the right conditions, Nebuchadnezzar sees the reality of these men's lives. And, and here's the outcome of this. This is, this is phenomenal. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declares. He doesn't say. He makes a declaration. Now, you know when a king in Old Testament times made a declaration, what does that make it? Law, right? He makes a declaration. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego servants of the Most High God. Wow. <laughs> because under the right conditions, the thing that was hidden in their lives became obvious. 
And not only did he see, but he got revelation. And then he declared, he is Lord. Isn't that good? And he says, come out, come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. What's your name, dear? Samantha, this is what I heard the Lord say to you. I've plucked you out of the fire. I've taken you out from the flame. You thought it was that you would be burned. But I say this, as steel is strengthened and as gold is purified, so shall the fire be for your life. For I am plucking you out that I will forge you into an instrument for my purposes in this earth. I am calling you to myself, says the Lord. I have a goal, I have a purpose, and I have a calling for your life. Don't regard the pain of the past because it is now in the past. I'm going to teach you, says the Lord, joy unspeakable and absolutely full of glory. You're going to experience the presence of the Lord like few have experienced it. All of what you saw that you wanted to leave behind, you will soon recognize was the Lord's roadmap to where he wants you to go. You're going to minister into the lives of broken women in years to come who have experienced the pain that you have known. You're going to pluck them out of the fire even as the Lord is plucking you out today. This is the beginning of a walk that will take you into eternity. If you will say to the Lord, here I am, I am yours, use me, he will use you. Today is the calling. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that the Lord has plucked you out. Does that connect with you at all? Okay, good. Good. Amen. So the process looks something like this. There's preparation, there's promotion, there's trial, and then there's triumph. Okay? Preparation, promotion, trial, triumph. A good example of this is David. Okay? King David was prepared as a shepherd of his father's sheep, right? Great training school. Oh, so you want to be king? Go herd the sheep. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's promoted by the prophet Samuel, who anoints him with oil when he's just a young kid, a a scrawny, ruddy kid, right? Samuel comes along, anoints him with oil, and says, you're going to be king over Israel. He then has a victory over Goliath, and with the victory comes fame, all right? So he's had preparation, he's had promotion, Right? Because he killed Goliath, everyone's saying, oh, David's killed his 10,000 and Saul his 1,000. Well, Saul wasn't too happy with the song, right? Because <laughs> Saul is the present king, so he says, I'm getting rid of this kid. So the next seven years, Saul is trying to kill David, and David is on the run. He's living in caves. He's living with his enemies, pretending to be a madman so he can... Uh, just survive and all of the worst of Israel is gathering themselves to David and he's creating an army out of the outcast of the land. He has created Lakes Region Vineyard Church in Israel, right? (laughs) A good army too and these guys were phenomenal. We're awesome, 
I love this stuff. So seven years of trial at the hands of King Saul, and finally he triumphs and becomes king of Israel. Do you see the pattern? There's preparation, there's promotion. Promotion brings trial. Trial brings triumph, okay? And oftentimes it's not as clear as in the case of David or like Moses, you know, Moses was rescued out of the river and he's brought up in Pharaoh's house and realizes who he is. He kills an Egyptian. He's on the run now. He's, you know, a wanted man. He's a murderer. He finds refuge on the backside of the mountain. He herds sheep for 40 years. Something about sheep tending. I don't know. 40 years and and then has an encounter with God, comes back and becomes the deliverer of Israel, right? Same pattern, same pattern, okay? So, but sometimes it's not as clear as all of that. And there are times that we can miss a particular aspect of the process and thereby miss the end result, which we don't want to do, okay? So I I, want to go through one of those a little more subtle times. If you turn to Matthew chapter 8, Matthew 8, beginning in verse 18. As now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. A scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Listen, if you're going to get in this because you think you're going to get something, of gain in this life? You know, if you think that there's uh, something, this idea of being in ministry, of being a follower of Jesus Christ can offer you that looks something like this. You're an awesome guy, man. You're just awesome, right? Forget it. Forget it. I got no place to lay my head. I don't have a home. You know, the birds of the year have better place to reside than I do. If you want to follow me, that should be your expectation. There's no getting. It's just following. If you're getting into this to get, don't get in. If you're getting into this to follow, come on. Pay the price. Come on. Follow me. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, Let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. Uh, That's a tough word. That is really a hard word. And and over the years, I've tried to, you know, dissect that and say, how does that fit into Jesus? You know, how does it fit into Jesus? Well, I I think it's as simple as this. Leave the past behind. And, And the model you have is Abraham... Abram gets a call when he's in Ur of the Chaldees. God reveals himself to Abram, and he says, listen, pack it up, everything you own and all the people associated with you, and start moving out to the land that I'll show you when you get there. Right? I'm on my way. Right? And, wow, he gets to the next city. He's in the same country. He's in the same province. He went from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran of the Chaldees. And he got stuck there until his father died. 
when his father died, he could move on with his life. You can't bring your past with you. You can't hang on to the things you've always hung on to and expect to get something that you're moving into. And I like the way Einstein says, you know, everyone knows Einstein, really smart guy, right? So his, his definition of stupidity, right? We went through this the other night. This is so awesome. I love this guy. He said the definition of stupidity is someone who keeps doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to get a different result. Jesus says you can't do that. You can't keep doing what you used to do and expect to get a new result. You can't linger in the old world, in the old system, in the old life, and expect to get kingdom benefits. Let the dead bury the dead. Let the things of the past remain in the past and step into life, step into momentum, step into the way and the journey that Christ has mapped out for you. Let the dead bury the dead. And I I fear there are too many dead-breathing Christians today. They want the best of both worlds, but what they don't realize is there is no best in the former world. And you can't have sweet and bitter water. It's one or the other. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus was asleep. I love this guy. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now the preparation has to do with the boat. Getting it ready and getting into it to fulfill the command of Jesus. Listen, I want to go to the other side. I want to go from Capernaum on this side of the Sea of Galilee over to the Tiberias side of the Sea of Galilee. Get the boat ready. Okay? So that took some preparation, right? They had to get it out off the beach. They had to get the sails ready. They had to get all their provisions into it. And so they get the boat ready. Jesus gets in and, and off they go okay, to fulfill his commands. But where's the promotion? Remember, it's preparation, promotion. See, this is the thing that they missed. When the storm came, and you got to know storms come, right? You all know that, right? You're all very smart. You all get storms, right? And we're on that pattern now. Welcome to New England. (laughs) All right? So storms will come. They focused on two things. The disciples, they focused on the storm, And they focused on the boat. So essentially, they looked at their own preparations as being tried. And believe me, the storm was greater than their boat. And a storm can sink a boat, right? No competition there. The trial was bigger than their preparation. No matter what they did to that boat, it would sink. The storm raged enough. But the storm was not greater than the one who was in the boat. And it was not more powerful than their promotion. They had been entrusted 
with the care and transport of the living God while he was at rest. That's the promotion. How many of you remember the song we used to sing? Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you'll build for me? Remember that song? And then we'd come to to the follow-up. Hear, O Lord! Right? Have I prepared a place for you? We have been entrusted. We have been promoted to the place of having the privilege of carrying the living God at rest in our hearts. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What greater promotion than that? Still a question from the Lord. Why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? Look at the storm of your life. Look at the thing that is overwhelming your circumstance and your situation. Look at the thing you're wondering about and pondering about. Am I going to make it through this? Now look at the back of the boat of your heart and see who is at rest there. See who you have the privilege and the promotion of carrying into this storm and tell me that you won't succeed. Can death rob us of the love of Christ? Can angels, can demons, can hell, can sickness, can can any of these things rob us from the love of Christ? No, not one. You see, the promotion required faith in order to gain the triumph. So it wasn't the boat, it wasn't the preparation that was being tested, it was their faith. It was their faith. And so often we go into these storms of life and we say, Oh God, why are you doing this to me? And he said, I'm doing it for you. I want you to build up faith so that you can walk in triumph. Without testing, there's no triumph. Without trials, there's no victory. Without faith, you'll never get there. So what was the triumph? Turn to Mark 4.39. It's the same story, a little different perspective. Mark 4.39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Peace. What a triumph that is, to have peace in difficult times. Hmm? Is that true? How many times have you, have you talked with someone or prayed with someone and, and you're in all this turmoil and your mind is swirling and, and your emotions are all charged up and you pray together, and you say, oh, Lord, help us. And all of a sudden you say, oh, I just feel the peace of the Lord. And it's like a deep breath. It's like a sigh. And things just begin to settle. And you can gain the victory if you've got the peace. Peace, be still. To know the peace of God, which the scripture tells us surpasses our understanding, is an awesome gift. It's an awesome gift. There's this thought that appears to be prevalent in evangelical thinking that has become a bit troubling to me at times, especially because I... I deal with a lot of traumatized people in, in ministry during the week. I believe the Holy Spirit's been challenging me to lay this up against the scripture and 
come to a place of balance and reevaluating this truth or supposed truth in my mind. It goes something along this line. Although I've been forgiven, although you've been forgiven, okay, you still have to pay and carry the burden of the consequences of our sin. Okay? Uh, you think that's true? I see a lot of, a lot of people doing this. Sometimes those consequences or carrying that is guilt, sense of guilt. Anyone feel guilty about past things? I know for years there was this one thing. If, I, if my mind went to this event in my life when I was about 19, it was like I would grab my head and say, oh, please, 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 I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. So horrendous. I don't want to think about it. Don't make me think about that, please. The guilt would just immobilize me. I was already saved. Sometimes it's guilt, shame, regret. And sometimes people carry that all of their lives. I want to tell you, that's not the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of God. Now, it's great psychology. But it's not the kingdom of God. Whom the sun sets free is almost there, right? Free indeed, indeed, yeah. yeah. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It doesn't mean you have to carry any of that through your journey with the Lord. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone having been hanged on a tree, so that the blessings, the blessings of Abraham might be to the nations in Jesus Christ, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The curse of the law is shame, guilt, regret, and condemnation. Now, be honest with me. How many of you have felt any of that in the past month? Yes. If you don't, I'll make you feel guilty about it. (laughs) Would God have us nullify the precious work of the cross by having us carry these curses in our lives? I don't think so. I don't think so. I would ask of you, any of you here today, the same question Paul asked the Galatian church. Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who's convinced you that you still have to carry this burden when the God who redeemed you, paid such a price to set you free? Who has bewitched you? You should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the things you feel in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it is still yet in vain? 
he therefore that ministers to you the spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the law or by the hearing of faith? This is part of the triumph of the cross, that by his stripes you were healed. It's already done. You were healed. It's not a will be. It's not a maybe. It's a done deal. You were healed. Romans 5, in the Message Bible, I love the way he he writes this. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master, Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his doors to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. But there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in by troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. An alert expectation such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Don't you love that? That's awesome. The triumph of peace is that we can glory even in hard times. We can glory even in tribulations. We can shout to the wind in the middle of a storm the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that scene in in Forrest Gump where the guy lashes himself to to the mast of the sailboat and he's shouting out at God in the middle of that storm. Yo, God, challenging God. I, I challenge you. Challenge God in the storms of your life today. See if he won't intervene. See if he won't step into the wind and the rage of your life and be there for you. And you'll find his rest and you'll find his peace. But shout it out with a praise. Get an expectation going in your heart that I don't have to walk this walk alone. I don't have to be in this storm by myself. There, was some, there is someone abiding in me that is the hope of glory, and it's Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God is this. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy. You want to live that way? Wouldn't that feel good? Just go day by day feeling that. Do you have the Holy Spirit actively present in your life today? If you don't, do you want to? The promise is to all who ask. Listen to the invitation of the Lord. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Father's just waiting. Just waiting to pour out his perfect peace and rest. You know, there's this interesting dialogue in the book of Hebrews where 
it says, there is a rest that remains for the children of God. And he says, you know, if it had been the Sabbath, then he never would have had uh, Joshua enter the promised land because the promised land was called the land of rest. So it wasn't just the Sabbath that was the rest. It wasn't the promised land that was the rest because there was a lot of turmoil. There is a rest that remains for the people of God, and that rest is the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit is resident in the boat with you, it doesn't matter what the storm's doing. It doesn't matter how high the waves get or how violent the winds get. He's the rest. The rest that remains for the people of God. Jesus promised us this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll receive power. And you will be my witness. And I say to you that being a witness is not just jibber-jabber. It's not telling your story. It's not telling an experience. It's speaking the words of Jesus and doing the works of Jesus. It's a display of the gospel in word and deed. And he says, you'll receive this. You'll receive this in my peace when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, 